Ripping Bonnets. Hello and welcome to Ripping Bonnets. My name is Kristen and I am here with your co-hosts from Not Quarantine. <laughs> uh, Leanne. And Jessica, I remember. You remembered, I'm really proud of you. I remembered. You guys aren't quarantined right now. Jessica, however, does have a horrible neurological condition that causes her to forget her own name on the regular. So, that's Constantly. part of the quarantine. For it's sure. part of the disease. I'm not technically quarantined yet. I probably won't be quarantined unless I actually come down with the coronavirus, which I don't think I would mind at this point. Are they honestly. not quarantining right now if somebody shows up at the hospital? Um, well, nobody has, I don't think, at our hospital yet. But, uh, oh, wow. I mean, they can't, they they can't quarantine the hospital Well, workers. here they've been, they have been asking them to do it, but they do it until there's, like, a shortage. What, like, stay in the hospital? No, go home and don't come back. Oh, go home, like, the hospital workers? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, they can tell me to go home and don't come back, that's fine, but I'm not staying, fuck that shit. No, no, no one's doing that, but they are, like, until they get a shortage of staff, they're like, but now I think they are starting to get short-staffed. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's really bananas over here, like, it's been super tense, actually. I'm One sure. of my patients today showed up wearing a, a face mask and coughing horribly oh, and looking like death, so. You're like, oh, get out of here. So I look forward to my imminent uh, infection, <laughs> but, you know. Did I, did either one of you see that video of the the parents in like Tennessee where like the one dad's like literally just spray bottling his teenager with his sanitizer? To be fair, I want to do that to teenagers on a daily basis anyway. So. I know, but it was just, it kills me every time. And another another mom is like forcibly taking her daughter's backpack off and wiping it down with a Lysol wipe. Like, it's just, it's so funny. That's not how those things work. I know. It's like, let me give you a a lesson in infectious disease, please. There's another woman who is wearing a a surgical mask, but it is below her nose. And I'm just Uh, like, oh, for the love of God. Hey, how do you think the Amish are going to weather this storm? Honestly, I don't think they even know. I can't even imagine. How would they know? I don't know, the newspaper headlines. Oh, newspapers, that's true. Well, I think that they would uh, treat it a lot like um, they treat a lot of things in their books. They're just going to let God handle it. I actually actually read a fascinating article about how this is the beginning of the end of times. Again? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is the beginning of the end of times because this is starts the plague or pestilence or i i don't know exactly i do like to think is, of this but... as a calling but a calling of like boomers mm-hmm. yeah well that's what they're calling because like it kills boomers at like a 15 percent rate yeah, as opposed so to like i mean is... is it really that bad this is how our generation is rising up and and gonna get democratic socialism finally yeah i mean i'm cool with that I guess this is what it takes. I don't know. Here, this is the headline. The Bible is clear. These diseases will worsen. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need. Ten things the Bible wants you to know. Yeah, and it's all about, it's all about you know, the quote-unquote facts, right? I feel like this could be its own episode. It, yeah. probably, it probably could be. Can we just do a coronavirus episode? We should. We maybe like should. Do we, are we new, like, are we too new to have, like, just completely, Topical. like... Yeah. yeah. Social Especially because we aren't going to edit this for another month. Let's be real. No, this is going to come out way out of fact, and people will be like, you guys are really insensitive. The world. Like, be like, half of the world is dead, you assholes. <laughs> New York's a fucking smoking crater. That's okay. Morocco. You'll be in Morocco. I've been in Morocco for four years. I'll be stuck in the hospital. Mm-hmm. 
Never to get, never to finish my degree. I'll take to the mountains with the preppers out here on the fucking West Coast. God. That's what my husband said. He's like, the preppers must just be having like the biggest heart on. I'm like, you're right. But only the plague preppers, not like mm-hmm. the, oh yeah, not, you know how they're different types, but like the right. plague preppers. Holy shit. This is their mm-hmm. time. Do you think the Amish are like the original preppers? Kind of in a way. Yeah. I mean, their obsession with canning everything. They do love canning. How much of the original split in this sect was based on like a assumption that the world is going to end? Do we know that? Um, I extensively peruse the Wikipedia page on the Amish and the Anabaptists. I think exactly zero percent. Um, that's really interesting for like yeah. an extreme cult, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually they're very focused on death and the world ending. All right, who wants to give the uh, sixty second here? I can, I yeah, I can try my hand at it. I, I'm warning you, the first like half might be good, and the last is gonna kind of be a cluster. What is a, what is today's book? I don't think we said it. Oh, sorry. This is uh, installment two in the Heritage of Lancaster County series by Beverly Lewis. Um, it is the Confession. The title of the book is The Confession, and it just continues to follow Katie Lapp, also known as the world's dumbest bitch. Yeah. Oh well, we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> What, what, how do we leave her? What was it? It was, she had just found out that she was definitely adopted and she basically like ran away from home. Yes. Mm -hmm. She found out that she was adopted and that her longing for fancy things was um, genetic. And that's how she should have known that she was adopted because she loves fine fabrics. I feel like we should stop using the term adopted though and just call it what it is. She was stolen. She was human trafficked. Sold. Yeah, she was trafficked. Yeah, she was trafficked. Oh my God, money was exchanged. She was sold. Well, wait, except the money came in a different direction. She gave her, her birth mom gave $1,800 to the other mom. Isn't that still selling? But that was like to remove her shame. It is, yes. Let, let me let me try to summarize okay, this clusterfuck. Okay, all right. I'm starting. Let me cue up this stopwatch. Take a deep breath. Go. Okay, so Katie Lapp goes off. Uh, she tries to find her birth mother who is living in an estate in upstate New York. Her birth mother is married to an atheist who's trying to steal all her fortune. He finds out that he wants to, or that, that her birth mother wants to give the fortune to her newfound Amish daughter. So, um... Before Katie can get there, he hires an actress from L.A. to portray an Amish woman. Then Katie gets there, and instead of doing the correct thing or the logical thing and being like, whoa, 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 I'm Katie Lapp, she's like, I'm just going to be quiet and be a maid here and see if I can find out if this is really the Katie Lapp, the re- the real Katie Lapp. And it's like, no, you are, you dumb bitch. So I think that that's mostly that plot. Also, Laura's dying from MS. Um, and then back at home, uh, Katie's... Uh, mother Rebecca is that her name Rebecca yep. um, completely completely loses her fucking mind um, is like completely like psychotic break and they don't do jack shit about it and then her her old love Daniel is uh, coming back to find her nice that was honestly it was pretty comprehensive is it pretty good I th- yeah that was pretty solid yeah you really nailed a bunch of that before we get fully going, did anybody else not figure out until like halfway through the book that this picked up before the end of the last book chronologically? Okay, so I still did not pick up on that until you just said something. It took me forever. And I was like, why is this bitch acting like her dead brother is still dead? She got that letter saying that he's not. And finally, I had to go back into the old book where it was established that she received Daniel's letter it at new year's and that in this book we are in the lead up to christmas 
Oh. Okay, yeah, I totally did not. Was the letter in the epilogue of... No, it was not in the epilogue. Oh, well, that's just lazy and poor yeah. writing. I, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that she would be a lazy writer. Also, they <laughs> did nothing with that side plot. Absolutely nothing. I know. Except, like, didn't... Did Daniel come back at the very end? I don't know. I forgot. He I came back to the um, farm well, to his he... parents. Yes, and he confessed to his father that he was really alive and then probably fucked off again. He spent the whole book doing that. There was no forward plot progression whatsoever. Well, his whole logic about that, too, was like, I have to make a confession so that I can be right with God. But, like, you left your parents, like, happily thinking that you had died and gone to heaven as a member of the church. Yeah. Like, like, this is worse for them. Here's my theory on inclusion of Daniel as a subplot. Well, one... She wants to save it for the third book, so she just didn't know what to do with it in the meantime. I think that's really what happened. But two, she decided to use him as a vehicle for, like, pure evangelism. Oh, he was, too. Boy, she Mm -hmm. just hammers home, like, evangelist, uh, like, he's being saved, Jesus is his buddy. I forget the words they use, but it's not that. personal lord and savior i mean this is rhetoric that like i heard when i went to jesus camp as a kid this honestly like was a little triggering for me was it yeah yeah Yeah, because it's real it's just real preachy it's this whole thing of like well and her mom her mom is also a vehicle for that right laura the character is also a vehicle for evangelism we're supposed to admire her because she gives jesus a birthday cake every year christmas (laughs) (laughs) which like that's some dugger bullshit right there it really is. Her entire household staff, which I very much would like to discuss, <laughs> her entire household staff absolutely loves and adores her and reveres her as a saint because she gives the baby Jesus a birthday cake a birthday every cake year on Christmas and enjoys the holiday and has also converted several of her house staff. Pretty much all of them. I feel like you'd probably be fired if you weren't converted. I'm also um, really upset that my prediction did not come true. I was predicting that Lara was going to be saved in a miraculous fashion, and she ended up dying, so I was wrong about that. But And I thought that it would have been um, not MS, but Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah, I thought her husband her. was poisoning her. Abusive Dylan, but they just dropped. She just got lazy with him as a villain, mm-hmm. honestly. No, she just had him run away. Like, he got found out and ran away. Yeah, although my favorite part of that little subplot was when um the real Katie Lapp went into the actress's Katie Lapp's room <laughs> and found her fancy underwear. I have a clear picture in my head of how the Hallmark movie portrays that. <laughs> I hope it's the same. <laughs> I'm going to bet the Hallmark movie has her open up a suitcase and it's like this um really tawdry, lacy red underwear. Uh, oh, see, I was thinking black, but also lacy. I think red. I think they're going to go with red. I, you're probably right. My favorite moment was when after working there for like two weeks and not at any point saying anything to anybody about who she was and using a fake name and being so confused and convinced that maybe she had gotten this whole thing wrong and she actually wasn't Katie Lapp. <laughs> she thought something. she was I don't know. That's very unclear. <laughs> but so she decides to call out the fake Amish woman on her lack of Amish knowledge at the dinner table. In front of everybody. Except. That then, instead of going full bore, she lets abusive Dylan take her out in the hallway, and she says who she actually is only in front of him, in complete private, and then just lets him throw her out of the house. And then she decides, logically so, that she's going to have to get the baby dress back to, sh- to prove who she is. To Which, her. honestly, she should have done in the first place. Like, instead, instead of trying to use the lavender satchels, 
that wasn't going to prove anything. All that would prove is that you fucking bought some lavender satchels somewhere. Someone really needs to talk to Beverly about genetics and how they work. Yeah, yeah. She's very confused about this. This is how Beverly, this is in my, I think this is a comprehensive list of all the ways Beverly constructed in this novel that character saw as proof of Katie is Lars' daughter, right? They included having not just any red hair, but a specific shade of red hair. Yes. Uh, Had to be like an exact shade that they both enjoyed the finer things in life. The smell Uh, of lavender. That they Mm -hmm. both made lavender sachets for their dressers. I mean, that's proof. And literally to the point where, as you said, I think, Jessica, she was going to show the sachets to her mom to prove that she was her daughter. Yes, that was her original plot, which I just... I actually got confused when I was reading it. I was like, I don't understand. Like, I had to go back and reread it. I'm like, I still don't understand where the proof is. Like, I don't. All that proves is that they both read the same issue of Better Homes and Gardens. (laughs) Yes, at some point. That's not genetic. How about when she gets to the house, she uses the fake last name Marshfield. Oh, yes. Instead of Mayfield. Yes. And that's how the servants figure out. Well, that's the that's also the crazy thing. So, again, like you said, she's there for two weeks. And so, like, okay, I buy that the servants would start to figure out that there's something fishy about the actress. But how do they then make the leap that, like, oh, this new maid actually must be the the mistress's daughter and you you know why because there's all these little things that don't quite add up so obviously she is and then her cat falls off and her hair falls out and everybody's like <gasps> she's wearing an old-timey maid's cap like she's amelia bedelia <laughs> <laughs> because that's what i pictured the whole time i was yes. reading this they put her in amelia bedelia outfit her hair is concealed <laughs> The big reveal is that her shining auburn locks go tumbling out of her cap. Which certainly could not have come from a box. The whole house staff Never. is straight out of Victorian England. And in fact, I I almost screamed when I read at the end, she confirmed that two of them were actually supposed to be British the entire time. Did you guys yes. catch that? Mm-hmm. I, I did catch that, which is great because in my head I had pictured them as British, even though the Me whole too. time I was like, no, no, they're in New York. And it is like... I don't know, ostensibly the late 1990s, early 2000s. Like, this is not set in Regency England. Did anyone count her number of house staff? I had at least six. Probably uh-huh. more, though, yeah. I got um, a nurse, a chauffeur, a junior chauffeur, uh-huh. a head steward, a cook, an assistant cook, a butler, a maid, and, quote, at one point, several house girls. So we're, like, at least in double digits, right? Six, seven, eight. We don't know how much several house girls is, but let's say at least three, which puts us at 11. There are two fucking adults living in this house. And this house is in Canandaigua, New York. Much like there is not a fancy boutique selling prom dresses in bird in hand Lancaster, <laughs> there is not a mansion in Canandaigua, New York. I promise you. In the acknowledgments of my ebook, yeah, Beverly thanks the owners of the Samuel and Morgan B and B in Canandaigua, which was the inspiration for the cover art of this edition (laughs) which is also not a mansion do you know what that says to me it says that beverly wanted the the publisher to pay for his free trip to a b&b in canadagua under the guise of doing research (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it worked. It worked. Because there's no... Has anybody been there? Does it, I never heard of this place. No, I've not, I didn't... I thought it was fictional. No, it is real. It is a small town. It's by the Finger Slightly Lakes. south of the Canadian border. Okay. It is not one of the university towns in that area. Is it also not a hub of fine arts? No, it is not one of the formerly <laughs> prosperous... Uh, uh, mill towns even like like buffalo no. once upon a time had some mansions in it canandaigua was never anything but like a 2000 person piece of trash i looked it up and it's at its median income um at the 2000 census for it was thirty seven thousand dollars and mm-hmm. it's median income for a family is forty seven thousand dollars so i just i can't imagine a lot of high society if you look at the zillow for canandaigua you are <gasps> in for a treat of some really offensively hideous architecture um did you know that Kristen wig was born there i did not and I i'm did sure not she would have that. some choice words on the subject my favorite part is that anybody in the late 90s would have had a full house staff that they would have had it in canadagua that canadagua would have supported whatever the fuck the husband does for work Nah, being i don't know he works remotely i think it was they don't mentioned actually, at some point yeah, they don't say what anybody does they don't say what daniel's new job is they don't oh, stay yeah. Yeah. he's like some sort of architect or something right no or... you're giving him too much credit he went to like community college <laughs> no nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that but i mean he's not an architect it was like he got a certificate in something i swear they said but it. he somehow has like he makes enough money to have a maid they mentioned at some <laughs> yeah. point that he has a maid he has a maid or like a, a housekeeper, and she, oh, she remembers yeah. to turn all his lights on. You know men can't take care of themselves in this world. Also, speaking of, like, anti-feminist sorts of things, one of the first things I highlighted was this quote where she said, Lara hadn't abandoned her maiden name, but she kept it hyphenated. Mm-hmm. And because of that, their romance began to wane in their marriage. Well, and I also thought it was uh, fascinating. Was it, it was in the beginning of this book, I think, that um, she went into why Lara and Dylan were childless. Did you catch that? Dylan's secret vasectomy. Yeah, Dylan went and got a vasectomy <laughs> and then spent her entire life telling her that she was barren, which, like, who would actually do that? Guys, I think we have an episode title. <laughs> Dylan's secret vasectomy. Dylan's secret vasectomy. <laughs> but, like, I was reading that, and I'm like, there's no way. Like, I don't know. Has that, like, maybe... Also, like, she already had a kid, so she should know she's not infertile. Right. You know why? Because this is written by and for evangelicals, so the assumption is that the abortion damaged her. She didn't have an abortion. She had the oh, baby. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. The the baby is literally the protagonist of the book, Leanne. Wait, but is Katie Lapp really Katie Lapp? No one knows. No one will ever know. <laughs> There's two Katie Lapps. I can't tell which is which. One of her dying words to Katie were like, have you seen my Jesus? And I thought, what if Jesus is actually the other kid she gave up for adoption? <laughs> it was Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a really excellent time for me to mention one of my biggest gripes with this book. Remember how we were talking about one of our biggest issues with Wanda is that she didn't understand the internet. Uh-huh. Beverly does not understand modern healthcare. I just, oh. I, I would like to read to you um, a passage from this book. Dylan spent the morning going over several end-of-year financial records. When he was satisfied with his progress, he made an impromptu call to Laura's doctor, informing the man of Nurse Judah's suggestion that hospital arrangements be made should the need arise. The conversation was brief. It was quickly decided that a private room would be available in waiting. (laughs) This does not 
happen. Even if you're really rich. It's not a Holiday Inn. Can't just call up and be like, my wife's dying. I'm going to need a private room sometime in the next week or two. And they're like, yeah, sure. We'll hold it for you. Do you have any gripes about how they portrayed multiple sclerosis? Oh, several. Kristen probably can talk to this more. I don't have a lot of experience with multiple sclerosis, except I'm pretty sure that intermittent IV injections of morphine is probably not the proper treatment, but I don't know. I could be wrong. That sounded wrong to me. In late stages of the progressive form, perhaps. But wouldn't they have, like, a line instead of just, like, the nurse shooting her up like a heroin addict? Yes, and especially considering she had an intrathecal port for the back of her. Like, they went out of way to mention that she had this intrathecal port, which like all meds would be going through that but here let's just tie off your arm like you're on the street and on an episode of intervention that's much easier yeah did anyone else catch in a nice callback moment to wanda her use of cripple i do i did highlight and i i typed in wow oh here it is i have it (laughs) Okay, this is, she's talking about how much Rebecca um, misses the adopt, Rebecca, the, um, I'm sorry, the mom who was, who trafficked Katie, yeah. um, <laughs> misses her. And the quote is, and she missed her, missed her like a cripple might pine for an amputated arm or leg. <laughs> God, it's mm-hmm. terrible. It's so bad. Why do all of these authors love the word cripple so much? <laughs> they hate the handicapped. They really do. And also, can we just also, can we acknowledge that Katie did in fact narrowly miss actually being sex trafficked? Like, long game style. Oh, with the bishop? Yeah, they did steal her and were going to marry her off to a much older man somewhat against her will. Yeah, that is just straight sex trafficking. That's child being a child bride. But you know what, Beverly, you guys are right. I came to she's being very critical of the Amish in here. She's not mm-hmm. taking a pro uh, sympathetic Amish stance at all, actually. Mm-hmm. No, it's even stronger in this book. I feel. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. really taking this this evangelical thing where like she's obsessed with the with the idea of prayer being a conversation with Jesus, and that that's like really really different from what the Amish do. Mm-hmm. She mentions it all the time in both books. It's actually how they how uh, the fake Katie Laugh gets outed. She's so moved by Laura's description of Jesus that she has to confess that she's not really her daughter. Yeah. And then she runs off to get saved. So, like, Wanda's style is more of romanticizing the Amish. Kind of hold her, holding them in, in some sort of reverence. Yeah, like, they're sort of an ultimate um, thing to aspire to. But um, yes. Beverly's is more of, like, a hardliner. Like, the Amish are, like, not truly, tr- not true Christian. It's a no true Scotsman argument, kind of. Towards the end of the book, when they were discussing Rebecca, Katie's uh, trafficker, after she had completely lost her mind, do you think that that was her being critical of the Amish's handling of mental health issues? Or do you think that... Oh, it's a good question. Repeatedly... They would say, you know, like, poor Rebecca's lost her mind, but they would never blame it on, like, the awful situation where they took what she thought was her daughter away um, and shunned her. It was all, oh, it was Katie's fault. Katie did this to her. And so I, I couldn't figure out if that was being critical of the Amish or if, like, she really truly believed that, like, it was Katie's fault. You know what I mean? I really couldn't quite figure that out either. It was like, on the one hand, she's clearly quite critical of, like, the practice of shunning. And we do all know that the evangelicals really love to pretend that they're very forgiving. Mm -hmm. So there's that. 
But then at the same time, you know, she did go against her parents, which we also don't support. Right. I don't know. I feel like you could really toss a coin. It really, it really can, it could go both ways. It's almost like it was meant to be how you want to read it, I guess. I don't know if it's almost supposed to be like politically neutral or if it's just poorly written. Uh, I'm going to go with B. Yeah. I hate to overcredit her, you know. Yeah, maybe we are giving her a little too much credit in some of this. There's this passage where she's saying, Rebecca's visiting Mennonite cousin, and Rebecca's really sad. The Mennonite cousin says, if the Amish allowed part singing, now would be a good time to burst forth with hymns of praise. And first of all, the first note I wrote to myself, is it? Is it a good time? And then I thought, well, what the fuck does part singing mean? Like, I don't, I'm not familiar with, like, that phrase. Or what that, I haven't heard anyone refer to so many music as part singing. I assume it just means, like, harmonizing. Like, That's yeah. what it meant, apparently. Sing. It means, yeah. har- I just didn't know what people called it that. And so that made me to sort of look up more about the Amish and singing. Because remember in the first book, they really hated that Katie wouldn't sing anything that wasn't from the Ausbond, which is, like, oh, yes. the, the traditional um, Amish uh, hymn book. And the Ausbond's actually really interesting. Have you guys actually looked it up? No. No, no I oh, haven't. Boy, do you want me to drop, drop some knowledge bombs on you? I, I am sitting down and waiting. It's fucking cool. So here's the thing. The Ausbond is like hymns from like way back the 1500s. They've been pieced together over time and they're thought to be pieced together by like the founders uh, or like the precursors to the Amish religion, right? Uh-huh. It does not have any musical notation in it. It has only words. And um, the Amish do not write notation. So they are, the mel- the songs, the way they sound are passed down exclusively through word of, word of mouth, oh. which means that they can change wildly from area to area or generation to generation or every couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on how, like, it's like a game of telephone. And there's been, like, ethnomusicologists, which is a whole other a person with a PhD who's probably less employed than I am, <laughs> <laughs> who have studied this. And I really thank them for their work that no one paid them to do. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. It's moments like this that give them meaning. That's yeah. right. This is what it matters for because here's the thing. I I wish I wrote his name down. I'm so sorry. If you listen to this and you want to email me your name, <laughs> I will say it out loud. But an ethnomusicologist wrote a book called Why the Amish Sing Songs of Solidarity and Identity. And it is an entire fucking dissertation on Amish singing. And this is the most important part. It is fully available online and I read it. I read it because <laughs> I'm a fucking nerd. How long was it? It's a dissertation. <laughs> oh my god. I have ADHD. I like to <laughs> hyper focus on things. Uh, and excuse me, Leanne, but who diagnosed your ADHD? <laughs> What's that? I, I, excuse me, Leanne, I just feel them to throw this out there, but who diagnosed your ADHD? Uh, my last therapist. Uh, excuse me. Oh, you. Yes, you. First yeah, of all, absolutely. Me. Yes. <laughs> first and foremost. Wait, wait, yes. whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean you were undiagnosed until you met Kristen? No, no. Kristen tried to tell me, and then I just waited for another 10 years. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right? But as a result, boy, can I read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's the important thing. I scanned this whole dissertation. I I could have missed it, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. I don't find, and if this was going to be written anywhere, I'm telling you guys, this dissertation would have had it. I find no mention of any Oradung whatsoever that would prohibit singing from anything other than the Ausbound or prohibit part singing. Although I think like a certain amount of um, harmonizing is considered frivolous. What about the banning of uh, musical instruments? That is a thing, I think. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. At least during church services. I, I think in general, just because I, I know during church services, but I, can't, I don't think I've ever seen any sort of musical instrument associated with the Amish. You know that if it was, they'd be selling like handmade pianos and shit, you know? Well, apparently, um, according to this dissertation, um, some do do harmonicas and some will do like guitars during things like singings and stuff like that. Oh, those must be very liberal ordnungs. They are very liberal ordnungs, yeah. yeah. And as we know from last week, the Swiss, uh, Swiss Amish engage in a form of yodeling, <laughs> which is my favorite form of music. I really need to hear an Amish yodeler. That's the Ohio Amish. And again, she fucked that up in this episode. She referred to them as Swiss Amish again. She didn't, she didn't fucking do her homework again. She had a second time and she fucked up. She called them Swiss Amish and made like a, a reference to things that the Swiss Amish don't do or wouldn't be if this was who Mm -hmm. we were talking about. And then she also, I think a few times she shortened Pennsylvania Dutch to Dutch as in she had an English character say like, oh, that's right. He goes, interesting name, isn't it? Because her last name's Lap. And then the English character says, sounds Dutch to me. And that made me mad a bunch of different ways because Lap is not an interesting name, first of all. (laughs) Well, it has two Ps, not one. Uh, You can't hear it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he says sounds Dutch, and I think she means that shorthand for Pennsylvania Dutch, but that character wouldn't have said that. That doesn't make any sense. Like that moment in Friends when uh, Monica's pretending to be Dutch uh, because she finds, like, the woman who stole her identity, and she has to clarify Pennsylvania Dutch because she doesn't... Wait, that's a real episode of Friends? Yes. I never watched Friends. I never watched it. I'm so sorry. It's not a good show. No, we don't watch it. (laughs) I am, I am baffled by its continued popularity. You know, we got to cut that out because I feel like there's going to be rabid Friends fans that would email oh, yeah. us. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of hate mail now. If anyone if anyone cares enough to hate mail us, which I doubt. I think <laughs> since all three of us feel that way, that we should just take a stand against it. Yeah. yeah, fuck Friends. Speaking of language, there was this like really nonsensical part where she says, uh, Laura, if you recall, was in Lancaster exactly twice in her life. The first was to give <laughs> oh, yes, yes, birth to her that. baby. And the second was when she came searching for Laura in her limousine. <laughs> Stress limo. This is like two weeks tops over a 20-year period that she's been there. Uh-huh. And uh, my favorite thing is when she meets the imposter Katie Lapp, she's like, it's the oddest thing, her Pennsylvania Dutch accent. If Laura was not mistaken, it sounded far different from the dialect of the plain folk she'd met in Lancaster last month. The ones who refused to talk to her for the most part. <laughs> she's got a keen ear for dialect. How would she know? Does anyone have comments on Nurse Judah? I think she's a shitty nurse. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just don't feel like she is adequately controlling the situation. I mean, you have a husband who's obviously abusive to the patient that you still continue to let around her, which I feel like, not that it's your sole responsibility to physically remove him, but, like, there should be some element of, like, social work or care coordination involved, which obviously it's not. It's just Nurse Judah. Mm. Also, I don't... Is that her last name or her first name? Oh, her name is Natalie Judah. Like, she was a Catholic nun or something. Oh, so they so they were calling her by her last name. I see. Because I was confused for a little bit because I thought she was a woman, but they kept calling her Judah, which I thought was a very odd choice for I, an I think she was novel. supposed to be Catholic, actually. I think it was like a dog whistle. Mm, yeah. It's very possible. Very she was possible. like a converted Catholic or something. Not a converted. I don't know. Um, a sympathetic Catholic, maybe. Maybe. The other thing that I thought was very weird was how, theoretically, if we're going to believe this book, which I don't believe a fucking word of it, but Laura has finally reunited with her daughter, right? 
And I understand that she's having pretty severe episodes, but if she only has like a week left, do you think she should be allowed to take an entire afternoon to nap and not spend time with her daughter? Like, did that strike you guys as odd? Yeah, especially because it wasn't, it wasn't allowed. It was somewhat forced. It's like, no, you have to go to bed and conserve your strength. Conserve it for what? But just dying. Yeah, like, you're going to be dead soon. She had to live for the birthday cake for Jesus. Who wants to talk about Justin? This is a fun twist. <sighs> Who's Justin? I forget Justin. I didn't address Justin in my... They name him late in the book. Oh, the painter. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, right. So, yeah, so this was... He also uh, had the artistic insight to know that something was wrong with the fake Katie laugh. He was hired to paint this portrait of Laura and Katie together. And he only painted Laura and he left a blank space uh, where Katie should have been when he was having them pose because it just it didn't didn't look right to him. And then he tries to get uh, after Katie. Now Catherine is a bazillionaire heiress. He tries to get all up in that. My favorite part is when later she goes, there's a first of all an unveiling of the painting at the Canandaigua Fine Arts Center. Which (laughs) definitely does not exist. Attended by all of society, including the mayor, who looks like Mr. Moneybags from Monopoly. (laughs) And his 12-year-old wife. What's his name? Justin wears a tuxedo. Katie is wearing the satin prom dress of her dreams. They attended, and did anyone catch this? Justin rented a limo for them? I have have confirmed that there is no art center in Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but in 1998, was there one? Uh, definitely not. So they, she makes him rent a limbo, which makes sense. No sense. She has two limos and, and a chauffeur and a junior chauffeur. This fucking bitch makes a starving artist do that. And then the painting is unveiled. And uh, who's in the painting? Yeah, the real Katie Lap. Inexplicably, how did you know? So let me let me get this straight. The the real Katie Lap is not sure if she is the real Katie Lap, but no less than ten servants and a painter that has never met her before all figure out that she's this woman's actual daughter. Yes. And do you know how he knew? How? Because, Catherine, you and Laura Mayfield-Bennett shared each other's hearts. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Also, not many people have the privilege of wearing the rich colors of autumn all year long. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a pickup line. As a redhead, I need to dye my hair now. I think Bev has a fetish. How would you have reacted if somebody tried to use that as a pickup line on you? Told you you're, you wore the rich colors of autumn. I probably would have had his dick right in my mouth. I would have fled <laughs> the situation because he was clearly <laughs> trying to wear my skin as a suit. <laughs> you could do both. <laughs> <laughs> Just bite down. Uh, so at the very, very end, we do have this teaser for the uh, next novel in which Katie, again, the dumbest bitch on the face of the earth, (laughs) is uh, returning home from her date with Justin, and she notices that there's a man who seems to have an Amish beard and be looking at a map. Who could it be? Who could it be? Katie Lapp? The real Katie Lapp? (laughs) I did appreciate that she did not in any way attempt to offer assistance to this obviously lost stranger. No. no. While musing about how similarly lost he looked to her when she first arrived in town. Yeah, she she was like, that poor man. I remember feeling like that once. Well, goodbye. (laughs) Just gonna keep riding in my limo. So Daniel is coming, and now we've been set up for a love triangle. And also, Daniel's not living a fancy life like this. I mean, she's a level above him. He's still Uh living a very humble 
Men I mean, like two weeks ago, she would have thought his, thought his life was real fancy. What are our predictions for the next book? Katie and Daniel are going to get married and then fuck, but it's not going to be mentioned in any explicit terms. It'll be like Wanda where they get married and chapter and then, oh my God, it's 10 months later and they have a child. And I think she's going to be really conflicted about which of them she should marry until the painter tries to get her to have premarital sex. And that's how she will know that he is the wrong man. Excellent. Or he tries to paint her naked. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. that's... Mm-hmm. I, I like both of those. I Can I just say, I'm really excited for this made-for-TV movie um, when we watch it because... For, for two scenes. One, Lara's death scene is... It has just have It has to be brilliant. Like... Can you imagine the uh, the Hallmark the Hallmark Channel actress they got to do that? Do you it's think good. that the the nasal cannula will be an upside down? Oh, it absolutely will, and everybody will be wearing their stethoscope. The wrong yeah, way. it'll it'll be so good. I'm really excited for that, and I'm also excited for the unveiling of the painting at the Katasakwa uh, Fine Arts Center <laughs> with with Katie there in her prom dress and uh, the painter in his tux. It's gonna be so good. Did you guys ever see um fuck? What was that parody movie? Not another teen movie. Yes. No, I never saw that. Um, there's a scene in there where they're mocking, like, a scene in... What's the movie where she turns from pretty to ugly when she takes her... her ugly to she's pretty. all that. She's all that. And she's painting a picture of her mother, and she's mm-hmm. like, oh, you have your mother mother's eyes. And you flips to the painting, and it's just, like, two big stick figures. <laughs> it's like, that's what I picture this painting unveiling to be. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, red hair on the top. Yeah. <laughs> Any favorite quotes? Uh, this is after uh, Daniel is recounting an incident in which uh, he saw uh, a very young Katie Lack giving some shit to her brother because he called her a redhead and she informed him her hair was auburn. And after several pages, he finally gets around to his point, which is, any girl spunky enough to voice an opinion about her own hair color now, that was the type of girl he'd want to invite for a ride in his <laughs> new rig. Because having a self-identity requires an abnormal amount of spunk. Oh my gosh, this reminds me, I this is like not on topic at all, but I feel like you would both appreciate this. So I spent um, a good three hours in a public library in a, a small town on the main line outside of Philadelphia the other day, just doing some work. And I was just working on my stuff and this woman comes in and starts yelling at the desk clerk behind the desk because she would like to rent the, or I'm sorry, borrow the entire season three of A Handmaid's Tale. And the clerk is trying to explain to her that it is policy to only let them take out one disc at a time and she wants the entire thing and she's yelling at him and the whole time I'm thinking just pay the eight dollars for Hulu don't harass this poor minimum wage library worker like what are you doing so she is yelling at him and finally she she capitulates and she's like fine I will take the one the one disc which was already rented and she lost her mind all over again. I bet he knew that the whole time he was arguing with her, too. Probably. And he it probably made his day. It made mine. What year is it over there? That people are checking DVDs out of the library? I mean, that's like a solid, like, 2006 or seven situation, I think. Yeah. The people listening to this are actually listening to it on a floppy disk because technology has been reduced <laughs> so much. Because of the coronavirus. There's like a single tear rolling down their cheek. They're like, I wish I didn't have to pump, hand pump a phonograph to hear this. <laughs> They're powering their device with like a little like pedal system. For yeah, like a, a bicycle. Bike. 
Yep, yep, yep. I'm pleased that our our podcast has survived, though. (laughs) Cars are now Flintstone cars. Uh, All right. What's the name of the next book? The Reckoning, right? Yeah. I I can't wait to finish this series. I fucking hate these characters so much. Yeah, I actually, I hate this a lot more than our first series after uh, book two. Yeah, I feel like Wanda was more innocent, whereas this is just, it feels so insidious. Yeah. Oh, it's just downright fucking preachy is what it is. Yeah, at least Wanda had the decency to, like, hide that. We gotta read a more deviant one after this series. I, I gotta do Gay Amish. So excited for that one. What's our sign-off today? S- s- stay fancy, bitches. <laughs> stay fancy. <laughs>